Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus, and we relentlessly pursue His transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message. I wanted to ask you a question. How many of you grew up in Sacramento? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're like native Sacramento. Okay. How about those that did not grow up in Sacramento? All right, a little bit, a little, a little more there. I want you to picture your hometown, whatever you, wherever you call that. And if you have been away from that hometown for a while, if you have been back recently, can you picture a neighborhood or a part of your town or city that when you grew up there, it was always a, a, a depressed, maybe broken down, boarded up buildings kind of place. And the last time you went back there, you found that that area had completely changed. That there was life on that street that you never went down. That there was uh, people living there, perhaps shopping there. There, was, there were things there that were not there when you were a kid. I've talked to some people that are native to Sacramento that can speak of places like Elk Grove as um, once upon a time, it was not what it is today. And there's a lot more that is developed in that area. Um, but I want you to picture that, that scene of wherever you call your hometown, that it's been restored and repaired from what it once was. Well, today we're going to discover through the prophet Isaiah that, that that act of restoration and repair is the commission that God gives his people. That the church, actually, the people of God, part of their mission are to be the agents of that kind of repair and restoration. It isn't simply when some business people get an idea to make some money They're going to go look at a particular area where there's a lot of growth and all of a sudden put in things that the church actually, the people of God have an opportunity to be those agents of repair and restoration. So we're going to discover that today in in Isaiah chapter 58. If you have your Bibles, we're going to have a a longer reading. I I can't ever seem to cut verses out of uh, Isaiah And so um, we're going to read Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. And it reads like this. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if. They were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, God says, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. And in striking each other with wicked fists, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? 
Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring, whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Last week when we began our series also looking at a passage from Isaiah, I got a gift from a friend and one of our elders who came into my office on Tuesday morning and very clearly asked me in a gentle way, I heard your sermon and I wasn't sure what you were asking us to do. I heard what you said, but I wasn't sure what you were asking us to do. It was a great question. And one that I wrestled with as I was thinking about this week, and I imagine that sometimes when, when I'm, I'm preaching, a lot of you might walk away and say, well, what do I do with that? How do I apply this to my life? So I wanted to attempt to answer that question because it's a good question. One, what I would like for us to do is to open our eyes to see that the mission of the church extends beyond what we do not yet with the slide, please. Um, um, open our eyes to see what the mission of the church extends beyond what we do here on this campus on Sundays or Wednesdays or any other day that we meet. Now, for a long time now, we've had a number of different local mission partners. Things like Loaves and Fishes, Mustard Seed School, Greenhouse, St. John's Program for Real Change, that's just to name some of them, Earl Warren Elementary School. Each of our local mission partners, they see a different aspect of the city. Places of brokenness as well as stories of restoration and new life. Friends, those people should be our teachers. Those people should be our teachers, showing us and teaching us what they are seeing in their neighborhoods, in their part of the city, among the groups of people that they work with. They should be teaching us about what we can do as a community of people that call on the name of Jesus, how we can be a part of their mission to bring restoration in their places of brokenness. 
Now, my friend also asked another question, which is another good question beyond the the question, what was it you're asking us to do? And that was this question. What does it mean to be a missional church? What does it mean to be a missional church, a church on mission? You've heard us talk about these things. And for the last several years, our elders and our staff have been studying about, well, what, what would it look like for us to, to be more of a church on a particular mission? And if you were to go home and Google missional church, you would find a number of different books and articles and people writing about what that means. This is a a conversation that's been going on in the church community for over a decade. But Reggie McNeil, an author of a, a book called Missional Renaissance, speaks of three things. And now let's throw that slide up there. He says that there are three things, that that it's from internal to external in terms of ministry focus, from program development to people development in terms of core activity, and then from church-based to kingdom-based in terms of its leadership agenda. So what am I asking us to do is to consider changing our minds, changing our perspectives about what it means to be the church. Let's talk briefly about each of those. How many of us think about the success or faithfulness or fruitfulness of the church in terms of what we do in the walls of this building versus what happens outside the walls of this building? McNeil argues that that a church should begin to think of its impact in its neighborhood, in in its city, as a sign of its fruitfulness and its faithfulness because the things that happen internally as we grow in our knowledge and love of Jesus as followers of his, they should go out. We should go out and make an impact in our city. So the one shift, according to McNeil, is to go from internal to an external focus. Secondly, he says, instead of focusing more on programs, we focus on the people that are a part of those programs. How are we actually growing people in the knowledge and love of Jesus? Now, rest assured, as someone who has been a pastor for over 25 years, this is one of the hardest things to measure. How do I know if any of you are growing in the knowledge of love of Jesus? How am I, how how, how do we measure that kind of thing. It's very a difficult thing, but we focus mostly on people and not simply the programs that we offer. Those programs are a vehicle, but our focus should be on whether people are growing in their knowledge and love of Jesus, and there's tangible fruit from that. Then finally... McNeil says, a missional church is one in which our development of leadership includes thinking outside of the church. How are we equipping you to be the best business person you can be for the sake of God's kingdom? How are we equipping you to be a teacher, a student, a people in retirement or where you volunteer? How are we equipping doctors and nurses, lawyers, professors, people in working in food service or at restaurants and entertainment? How are we equipping people to be leaders in the places where God has placed them 
the other six, six days of the week other than when you are just here. That's a missional shift of thinking about how we can equip leadership for our neighborhood and our city and ultimately the world. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah, I think, speaks to some of these kinds of shifts. Isaiah 58 is really clear, and these are hard words, that God seems more interested in a community of people living rightly by, the text says, treating workers fairly, working for justice, providing for the poor and hungry. He's more interested in that, apparently, than he is seeing people engage in religious activity. And it's clear that the passage in Isaiah says that what we do matters. How we treat people. How we are about helping people, those who are without, and how we help restore. According to Isaiah, it is not enough to worship, fast, and pray, and not have our attitudes and actions be changed. And I think that the warning that's very sobering warning for all of us is that it's possible, Isaiah says, to be seeking the Lord and still be in rebellion and sin. Let's look at one, one passage, this verse here, Isaiah 58, 1 and 2. It starts like this, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. That's a sobering warning. What God is saying through Isaiah is this. It's possible to have the appearance of spiritual hunger, but not actually doing what God says is the fruit of that hunger. The fruit of our hunger for God should be played out in how we live our lives. Now, what what God says he wants his people to be doing is this. Don't oppress people. Don't exploit workers. Stop fighting. Have healthy relationships. Feed the hungry. Look for where people are bound and not truly free and work for their freedom. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute. Because I would imagine that some of you are having a couple of reactions so far to this. And one, I want to say this. Am I saying that if we just do these things, then we are right with God? Not at all. I want to make really clear that these kinds of warnings are instead the fruit of what a life that is restored and repaired by God looks like. We are not saved by this kind of activity. God has done the saving work through Jesus Christ. Amen? So the work that he has done for us, this kind of work that Isaiah calls for, working for for justice and feeding the hungry, isn't so that we get right with God. It's instead because we've been made right with God through Christ on the cross that our lives should naturally become this kind of person. That's apparently what God cares about. So some of you may also, that that are familiar with kind of historical theology stuff, be saying to yourself right now, this guy's preaching the social gospel. Anybody heard that phrase? Social gospel. 
Social gospel was a time in American evangelical, American Protestantism in which uh, there was a movement of people that said, well, if we just do the right things, then we'll be working for, the, for God's kingdom, but we don't really need to mention Jesus. Hopefully you know me well enough after nine years that I mentioned Jesus a few times. I care about Jesus and what he taught. And by the way, Jesus said things very similar to the prophet Isaiah, didn't he? Dave read some of them from his sermon. That God cares about an attitude of heart. Not performance and religious activity. We're not saved by any of that. But Jesus wanted his followers to live a particular way. So please, please. Don't hear this as social gospel or works righteousness, that we do these things to be saved. I'm not saying that at all. But you can't read Isaiah 58 or any of the other prophets, for instance, and not see the heart of God. If you do that, you're dismissing a huge chunk of the Bible. My little rant is over. All right, so I want to give you an illustration of what this looks like. For 16 years, my family, before we moved here, we lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've mentioned this before. But my doctor of ministry project came about because every day on my way to work, I drove down a broken down street. I drove down Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in Chattanooga on my way to my office near the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, where I did campus ministry. And upon listening to longtime residents of that neighborhood, I learned that once upon a time, that street was, was a center of life for the people there. There were grocery stores, there were restaurants. It was, anybody here ever been to Beale Street in Memphis? Jazz, it's like the, well, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, used to be called Ninth Street, was the Beale Street of Chattanooga. So all those jazz clubs and there was just nightlife and and. As a lot of city streets, this happens in a lot of areas, all of a sudden, as some of those things began to move out to the suburbs, this street became neglected, boarded up, and there were no businesses on that whole street. My drive down that street after I passed downtown was abandoned, broken down, boarded up building after boarded up building until I took a left and went one block And my office was in a church amongst brand new dormitories that the university had put up. Now, one of the things that um, was striking to me is that you had this campus of nearly 12,000 students one block away from that street. And another community, longtime residents, some five or 6,000 people, And they had no access to a grocery store other than a gas station a mile away. Has anybody ever shopped for their groceries at a gas station? Some of us have. The selection is not good. So the project that we began thinking about, I had taken this class on on looking at the church as as an agent of mission in its community. I began thinking to myself, What would it look like if the local church, multiple churches, pulled together its resources to plant a needed business, a grocery store? 
a nonprofit, to anchor development in the city street. Can you, have you ever seen this happen in a street where there's abandoned buildings everywhere and then all of a sudden somebody plants one thing? It could be a restaurant. It could be a, a shop of some kind. It could be a grocery store. And all of a sudden development begins, begins to flourish in that area. That grocery store was designed to serve students and longtime residents of the neighborhood. So I began, as part of this project, to pitch this idea to city council members, grocery store developers. If you're really curious, I can tell you why grocery stores are designed the way that they are, because I met with multiple grocery store owners. I know all about the grocery store business, if you'd like to be bored. But I also began to meet with local church, res, local church leaders about this idea. You want to know where I got the most resistance? The church. The church. And I write about it in my paper, and when one of the places, the one elder in one church said, hey, that grocery store is really interesting. But when would you start the church? And you know what they meant? That grocery store is really interesting. When would you start the worship service? Because that's really what the church is about. And I began to to understand that, and I asked the question, is it? Well, for that particular church leaders, it was. It was like, when you think of church, what do you think of? You think of this. But is that the right thing to think about? Is that how the prophets spoke Is that how God spoke through his prophets about what his people were to be about? To give you a little bit of an idea, I looked this up, that that Chattanooga, Tennessee has 631 churches. 631 churches in a population three times less Sacramento. We have 330. So twice as many churches, three times less the population. When Kelsey and I were interviewing for the job, one of my favorite phrases that I learned from the sweet woman that toured us around was, honey, you can't swing a long-tailed cat around here without hitting a church. (laughs) First Southern phrase I learned, I've never forgotten it. And it was true. It was true. But I wonder if the prophet Isaiah looked at the city of Chattanooga, if if he would say something like that, oh, I see your houses of worship, how full they are on Sunday mornings. But your streets are crumbling. And people are going hungry. Doesn't that sound like what Isaiah 58, written to Chattanooga, might sound like? So what am I saying? Am I saying, oh, let's throw away our practices of worship and fasting and prayer? No. But all of those practices that God has given us are designed to build in us that we become particular kind of people. That out of the fruit of those practices, out of the fruit of the relationship of restoration that's been given to us in Christ, is we become the kind of people that look for places to restore. Our practices, our faith, are meant to produce in us a certain way of living powered by God's grace. We reach out with tangible forgiveness and freedom because we've been set free through Christ. And because we believe that God is with and for the city, we work to accomplish his mission of restoration where we live. 
Now, I might be unusual. I think I am. But when I drive around Sacramento, my eye gravitates towards empty buildings and empty lots. And I cannot help but wonder, what needs to go there? What should go there? Not just to make a whole bunch of money, but what would that neighborhood need as an act of grace or beauty, restoration, and new life? What could go there? And by the way, this was all a part of my my ministry project. You don't want to know the institution that is probably most perfectly suited to do this kind of work? The church. Because we're not motivated purely by the bottom line. The number of grocery store developers I met with in my project, they said, oh yeah, we're not touching that neighborhood. The low, you, you got transient students, you know, that, that, you know, not, they weren't transient, but they were like coming in and out. They don't have a whole lot of disposable income. The longtime residents of that neighborhood, they're not going to buy a lot. We're not touching that neighborhood. But the church... Motivated by mission of grace, that's a different ball game. The church has an, an amazing opportunity to be an agent of restoration and repair in cities. Now, what has also become really clear to me is that I'm not the pastor to lead this church there. Maybe my role over the last nine years was to point some places of where you could go, but another pastor will take you there. Or maybe my role was to just raise some questions, hopefully point you to Jesus. Maybe mention Dallas Willard a few times. (laughs) But you all together will choose your own path. I don't know. But let me say this. My prayer for you is that you would relentlessly pursue God's transformation of your neighborhood, your city, and your world. Because as I read my Bible, that's what I see his call to the people of God to be. So as you consider these words, what pockets of your community, your neighborhood, need beauty and restoration? What could you do? What could your small group do? Life group, covenant group, mariner'ship. What could we do as, a, as an institution and as a community? Let me say this again. We don't do this to earn anything from God. He's already given us the gift of life and forgiveness in Jesus. But our lives are transformed because of that reality that we become the kind of people that look for the brokenness and seek to repair and restore it. Because Jesus repaired and restored our relationship with God, we've become his people to carry that message of restoration and repair, to walk among the ruins, to rebuild the foundations with an eye to restore and repair. Isaiah 58 ends with this beautiful renaming of God's people. You'll be the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets with dwellings. So friends, may that be said of this church, that this is a community of people that know their mission is to repair and restore for the glory of God. Will you please pray with me? Gracious God,
We pray on this day for a renewed vision of what you have called us to do. There are those among us that are hurting and in pain and in need of restoration. And that is part of our mission to be agents of healing and grace and support and love to those among us that are in need of physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. May that be part of our renewed call. But may we also look outside the walls of this place and begin to understand and open our eyes to the mission that you have given us. And Lord, we hear news in the world today of, of brokenness from thousands of people that have perished in Afghanistan and the earthquake, for, for hundreds that have died in the conflict in the Middle East and Israel and Gaza. Lord, we lift up the church in those places to be about your mission of restoration and repair. May we remember that we do this not to earn glory, not to earn favor, not even to be noticed. But we do this sometimes in secret, knowing that you, you, God, are the one whose kingdom is forever And you are the one who will receive the glory that is due your name. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit fremontpress.org. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 a.m. in the sanctuary for classic worship and 1030 a.m. in the Community Life Center for modern worship. You can catch the live stream of both services at fremontpress.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get the latest episode each week. Thanks for listening.